Let's take a moment now and pray as we get ready to hear from the scriptures and uh, to hear what God has for us today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would be with us now. Um, We come to you every time we come, whether it's on a Monday, a Wednesday, a Saturday, or a Sunday morning in the context of worship. We come with weakness, with need, with fear, anxiety, with uh, burdens and sorrows that occupy some part of our mind and heart. Sometimes it can be hard to pay attention to you and what you're doing in our lives. So we thank you today for the gift of Sabbath rest, that you invite your people to pause from our normal daily routines and to take a break and to set aside this time simply to listen as your Spirit speaks through the Scriptures. Would you help us to do that? We pray in your name. Amen. Well, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is good news for real people, including people whose commitment to Jesus gets shaky in the face of fear. That's the reason that Mark's gospel ends the way that it does. We talked last week about how does Mark's gospel end, and as we'll hear read in just a moment, it ends on this note that's building toward fear. These women arrive at the tomb. They, they love Jesus. They're sad. He's died, and, um, and they're at first alarmed when they walk inside the tomb and they don't find his body. The emotional temperature has risen a bit from grief to alarm. And then by the end of the text, as we'll hear read in just a moment, they are trembling with astonishment. And the very last phrase of the whole gospel is, they were afraid. And so there's good news in that, that the resurrection of Jesus has a powerful impact even on people whose fear is rising, on people whose faith is shaky in the face of fear. And at some point or another, that's all of us. There's good news in the resurrection of Jesus for people just like that. Let's listen as the scriptures are read. This is the ending of Mark's gospel. Thanks, Caleb. The scripture reading this morning is Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll the stone away for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. 
There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There are a lot of things in life that have this uh, kind of fundamental tension built into them. It works something like this. Hey, this thing is really scary. Let's go do it. Um, you ever gone to Disney World and, and ridden Mission Space? It's got that tension built into it, right? As you're waiting in the line to go on this ride, there are signs that say, warning, this could cause all kinds of scary things to happen to you. Headaches, nausea, dizziness, maybe even pregnancy. No, I don't think so. Um, you know, this could trigger anxiety. It could trigger seizures. It could trigger, if you've got high blood pressure, you don't need to sign up for this. Warning, 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 scary stuff ahead. And then you've got people saying, who's ready to go? Let's do it. You know, you feel that tension kind of built in. There's all kinds of scary stuff around the next corner. Who wants to do it? Doesn't this sound like fun? Um, that kind of tension runs throughout Mark's gospel. There are warnings throughout Mark's gospel. They reach their crescendo here at the end with these women as they're wrestling with the fact that Jesus' body is not in the tomb where they expect it to be, and their response initially is, is one of fear. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Well, that theme of fear has been running throughout the whole gospel. Fear tempts us to compromise our commitment to Jesus. This is not the first time that theme comes up in this gospel. That note is sounded throughout the time in the line, so to speak. And yet, throughout the whole gospel, Jesus is calling us to follow him to places that will only intensify our fears. Hey, this is scary, and the scare the scare factor can cause you to compromise your commitment to Jesus. But hey, because of your, comp- your commitment to Jesus, let's follow him to scary places. What Those two things are in tension with one another, and they run throughout the whole of the gospel. And the implication at every turn is there must be something about Jesus that resolves that tension. There's something so fun about going on this ride that you would do it even though you know very well it's going to scare you to death. What is it about Jesus that resolves that tension, that gives us the strength to remain faithful to him despite really intense fears? Let's find out the answer. We're going to start today, though, just with dwelling on that tension a bit. First of all, as we feel that tension in Mark's gospel, as Jesus tells us many, many times that fear will tempt us to compromise our commitment to him. The first time he sounds that note is in chapter 4 when he's telling a parable about a farmer who's sowing seeds on the ground. And he talks about seeds that are sown among thorns. And in Mark chapter 4, Verse 19, Jesus says this, those seeds are like people who hear the word, but the cares of the world 
and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. That word for cares, the cares of the world, that, that is a word that has to do with um, dangers and hardships that come up and cause distress in people. So here's Jesus saying, warning, if you follow me, you're going to experience this a lot. There will be things, dangers ahead. There will be hardships ahead. And they're the kind of thing that could choke out your faith in me so that this good news that I'm bringing you about what God is doing in the world, it doesn't bear any fruit in your life. Fear about those dangers, fear about the hardships that could lie ahead will constantly be undermining your commitment to me. Here's Jesus warning us. The next time we see this theme is also in chapter 4. Jesus is asleep in a boat. And his disciples use this same word for care. Hey, teacher, don't you care that we're about to die here? There's a storm, waves coming over this ship on the Sea of Galilee, and they're afraid that they're going to drown. And Jesus wakes up and he says, peace, be still, and and the storm is stilled. And he asks a question, chapter 4, verse 40. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? There's Jesus reminding us again that fear is going to undermine our trust in him. Now, let's take a moment to, uh, to, to shoot down a myth. There is a myth about Christianity that says, you know, we're Stoics. Stiff upper lip, old chap, you know, kind of that uh, caricature of the, the British World War II officer who uh, doesn't let anything flap him because, you know, he... He just, uh, everything rolls off. And, and uh, isn't, isn't Jesus like that? Isn't that what he's saying? Hey, guys, it's only drowning. What are you afraid of? It's only death. There's no reason for you to be afraid. Just show a little faith. Pluck up, my men, courage. Now, actually, the word that Jesus uses here, the word that Mark uses to capture the nuance of what Jesus said why are you so afraid? It, it's, a word, it's a word that has to do with a fear that's rooted in a, a lack of moral strength. We might call it cowardice. But Jesus is going, where's, where's your courage? Where's your strength? Now, when he says that, he's implying something, isn't he? He's implying the thing you're afraid of right now is no small thing. Jesus isn't saying, pish posh, it's only death. He's saying, I know that being afraid of dying, that confronting that fear takes courage. Where is your courage? Confronting that fear takes a lot of strength. I want you to have that strength. I want you to have that courage. He isn't saying this is no big deal. You should be able to just suck it up and get through it. He's saying this is a big deal, and it takes a lot of courage, and it takes a lot of strength. And I would hope that your trust in me, your faith, is providing you the kind of strength and courage that is required. 
So he's not saying you should be a bunch of Stoics who can just get over fear of death. He's saying this takes more strength than you have, and I want, I want you to find that strength through trusting me. But there's this tension between fear and trusting Jesus. And that's how the gospel ends. That's how Mark ends his gospel. The gospel ends on this note. Everyone was fearful. All of Jesus' apostles have abandoned him out of fear of being found out as his followers. Peter denies three times, I don't even know the man. And then these women who show their faith in Jesus, their reverence for him, their respect and love for him by going to the tomb to anoint his body. They are told by an angel to go and tell the good news that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And instead, what do they do? The text says it very clearly. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. The gospel is telling us over and over again that that fear is going to tempt us to compromise our commitment to Jesus. At the same time, Jesus is going to call us to follow him. And he tells us up front, there is more fear if you follow me. Back to chapter 40, Jesus has just stilled the storm. He says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And verse 41 says, and they were filled with great fear and said this to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That theme runs throughout scripture and throughout Mark's gospel. That sensible people have a a right sense of fear in the presence of God's supernatural power. We were afraid when the storm was raging, but now that it's not, we're even more afraid. Because what if all of that divine power was turned against me rather than for me? What if the power that just rescued me from death wasn't rescuing me, but condemning me? There's this theme of fear related to being in the presence of the supernatural. And you see it in Mark's description of the empty tomb. As these women are in the presence of this angel and and he's speaking about the resurrection of Jesus and they don't see his body, they become alarmed. There's a sense of fear in the presence of the supernatural. If you follow Jesus, you will have to confront the reality of the supernatural. And sometimes... It will lead to fear. Jesus is even more explicit, though, about what it means to follow him. Here's just one example. You see this theme run throughout Mark's gospel as well. In chapter 9, Jesus is talking about what's going to happen to him. He says in verse 31, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. And the next verse says this, But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. We are afraid to know what it might mean for us 
we are afraid to know what the personal consequences might be of following you to a place where you are going to be killed. And that theme is repeated again in chapter 10 and and, and lots of other places throughout the gospel. Following Jesus leads to personal consequences that can be very unpleasant. Following a crucified Savior will not always be pleasant and easy. I think the women are wrestling with that in chapter 16. Do we really want to go out and start saying publicly that this man who was executed by the army that occupies our city, that the execution didn't work? And that we believe that he's living again. The two Marys and Salome are having to wrestle in a very real way, just as you and I would. If we obey what this angel has told us to do, what will the consequences be for us? Following Jesus leads us to that place of fear. Now, all of this lines up so well with the the circumstances in which Mark's gospel came to be. The apostle Peter is in Rome. He's preaching. Mark is Peter's disciple. We know from sources in the early church that, that Mark began to write down what Peter was preaching. It's kind of a written record or testimony of Peter's preaching of the gospel. And while Peter was having his ministry in Rome, when Mark's gospel was written down, this is over a, a period of a couple of decades, Peter's ministry, Mark's writing, Christians in Rome are facing pressure and persecution from the Roman Empire. And kind of hearing every day, if you want to prosper in our society as a Christian, you have three options. Let's talk about those options real quick because you and I will face these in various ways. As a Christian in first century Rome, your first option is to undergo a second conversion. Your first conversion was to faith in Jesus. Well, we want to invite you to undergo a second conversion where you say, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. That's option number one. Just renounce Jesus. Just leave this silliness behind. It puts you out of step with our culture. It puts you out of step with what our philosophers and theologians and religious experts teach. It puts you out of step with our commerce, which is built on polytheism and sacrifices to various gods and goddesses to bless the work that we're doing. Why make life hard for yourself? Just unconvert. That's option number one. Option number two, live two lives. Keep Jesus as your private God. Just don't let him show up in your public life. You got your private life and you got your public life. And if you really want to flourish in Roman society in the first century as a Christian, that's one of your options. Split life into two halves. Jesus gets the private half that nobody else ever sees. And Rome gets the public part and Jesus never shows up there. Your third option is to serve two masters. You can keep on believing in Jesus as long as you are absolutely clear that your first master, Lord, and Savior is Caesar. 
If you put Jesus in his place, then we'll let you keep talking about him, maybe even publicly, but make it very clear. Those are your options. Just leave Jesus altogether, keep him in a box and keep it pushed under your bed so nobody ever sees it, or put him in his place, make him second. Those are the circumstances. Those are the issues that those first readers of Mark's gospel are wrestling with. The first people hearing Peter preach about the resurrection of Christ in Rome, they're wrestling with those very things. Just as you and I will have to. Jesus is warning us. We are always going to feel those pressures to split our life in half, to stay quiet about him, to keep our trust in him kind of under wraps, keep it safe, keep him at, a, at, at the right place in life. Just don't let him take first place. Or maybe at some point just get so burned out of the whole thing that we just walk away from him altogether. We're going to face those pressures. We live in a secular society that tends not to want to speak openly about religious commitment at all. It would be more comfortable with most of us if we would just walk away from Jesus. We're going to feel that pressure. Conversations about politics and sexuality, materialism, just the individualism of our culture. Me first, me first, me first. Those things are constantly going to pressure us to choose one of these options. Are you feeling that tension now? Are you feeling that tension On the one hand, fear is going to pressure us to compromise our commitment to Jesus. On the other hand, following Jesus will only make the fear more intense. And Jesus is saying, hey, ride with me. Come on, I'll tell you up front, it's only going to get harder from here. I'll tell you up front, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And the consequences for you... Well, I can't say exactly what they're going to be right now, but I'm inviting you to come with me. Come on, who wants to go with? There's something about Jesus that means pressure to compromise is not the end of the story. These women at the tomb in Mark chapter 16, their initial response is to count the cost of following Jesus. If we go out and we start saying that, that the man who was crucified by the Romans is now alive, what will that mean for us? That's a hard decision to make. But you know what? It's not the end of the story. These women weren't silent forever. Eventually, they did tell the disciples that Jesus had been raised from the dead. I mean, Peter has nothing to preach if the women didn't eventually break their silence. Mark has nothing to write down if these women didn't eventually overcome their fear. That fear is not the end of the story. That pressure to compromise is not the end of the story. There is something so glorious about Jesus. That 1,500 miles away from that empty tomb in Rome, Peter stands up and says... Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is. That, that over 15 years after Easter Sunday, 
Mark is writing down this testimony for Christians who live in Rome and throughout the Roman Empire who know that if signing up to follow Jesus means signing up for some scary things, and yet there's something so glorious and good about Jesus that made these women overcome that initial fear. It made Peter, who was so filled with fear on the night of Jesus' arrest, become bold. It made Christians throughout the Roman Empire willing to follow Jesus even if it meant an unknown and uncertain future. What is it about Jesus that resolves that tension? Let's follow Jesus to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane to find the answer. In Mark chapter 16, we're told that uh, the women encountering this empty tomb were alarmed. The word used there is a word that's rare in the New Testament. It's only used a few times and only by Mark. It's translated a different way in the ESV in chapter 14 as Jesus goes to a place called Gethsemane, a garden on the Mount of Olives. He asks his disciples to sit with him and pray. Verse 33 of Mark 14 says, He took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. That word translated distressed is the same word translated alarmed in chapter 16. That sense of growing apprehension, something isn't quite right. It's building and it's building. Jesus is feeling fear. Why? He says to his disciples, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. What is it about Jesus that makes us want to follow him, even though it leads to scary places? Even though we could resolve a lot of our fears by just walking away from him, or making him second place, or or keeping him in the box under the bed so nobody ever knows that we love him. We could make life a lot less scary if we compromise in those ways. But what is it about him that makes us want to stand up and say, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you take me, even though I don't know where that may lead? Part of the answer is this combination of compassion and courage and grace that we see here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Compassion. Jesus entered into our fear. He faced it honestly. Eh, Did I just go too far? Yep, there we go. When Jesus calls us to follow him into places that, that are scary, he's speaking language he understands himself. He knows what it's like to be afraid. He knows what it is like to be sorrowful even to death. He knows what it's like to be greatly distressed and troubled. He doesn't have a stiff upper lip attitude 
about the things you and I are afraid of. He looks at death and he says, you know what? I would rather not go there. You know what? Thinking about that fills me with fear. Jesus has compassion on people who are afraid because he knows what it is to look fear in the face. Courage. Jesus knew that the path he was on was leading to death. And he chose to follow it anyway. Right? Father, if it were possible, could this pass from me? I know what it's going to be like. It's going to involve drinking this cup of suffering and sorrow and anguish. And I would rather not, yet not what I will, but what you will. The courage it takes to look in the face of God's wrath and say, I will go there anyway. Why wouldn't we want to follow that Savior any place he would lead us? And then finally, blended with that compassion and courage is grace. Jesus says he's going to drink a cup. It's an image from the Old Testament, a cup of the wine of God's wrath. Jesus does not deserve to drink that cup. But out of grace and love and mercy for us, he takes upon himself the wrath of God that we deserve. He takes that in our place. God's power can be for us now because it was turned against Jesus then. That's why we follow Jesus. I'll show you a picture of a woman named Cornelia Arnolda Johanna Tenboom. It's more affectionately known as Corey Tenboom. She died in 1983. She and her family uh, were Dutch. And in World War II, they hid their Jewish neighbors during the Holocaust. They were discovered, betrayed. She and her family and friends were arrested. Several members of her family died in concentration camps. She was kept in uh, solitary confinement in a concentration camp for a long period. Their family saved over 800 of their Jewish neighbors. Here's a picture of Corey kneeling beside the place in her bedroom where a, a hidden chamber had been built behind a wall where people could hide when soldiers and police came to inspect the house. All sounds very dramatic. That's Corey Tim Boom. She's a heroine. I'll never be like her. It started with a simple step. A Jewish woman knocked on their door. Dad answered the door, and based on his understanding of what the Scriptures taught about loving your neighbor and God's work through the Jewish people over millennia to bring salvation into the world, 
He said simply that this neighbor and other people like her would always be welcomed in our home. This dramatic rescue started with that simple gesture. Corey knows what it's like to be afraid. She knows what it's like to follow Jesus into scary places. One of my favorite quotes from her is about fear. She said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Jesus is the God who is known. What do we know about him? How has God made himself known to us in Jesus? As a God who is full of compassion, as a God who is full of courage, as a God who is full of grace, so full of compassion and courage and grace that he can share those things with us. What is the unknown future that's causing you fear today? Will you get this virus? Will it make you seriously ill or worse? How will this new medical issue you've been diagnosed with turn out? How will your children cope with all the stresses of life interrupted by a pandemic? It doesn't matter what age your kids are four months or 40 years, you're asking that question and you don't know the answer. Which of my friends and my family will face depression and anxiety next? It's not a question of if, just when. How will I recover from the impact of this pandemic on my job? What's it like to pastor a church after a pandemic? I don't know. I've never done it before. The answers aren't known, but Jesus is. He is the God we know. We know that he is full of compassion and courage and grace, and we know that he is willing to share those things with us in our time of need. Can I mention one other fear? Fear of the unknown. The trial in Minnesota of the police officer being tried for murder of George George Floyd. Are you afraid of what comes next? I am. What will the verdict be? Will will it be just? How will people respond? Will will the response and the outcome lead to more division in our society? Or what if the consequences, what if what comes next means more distance in my personal relationships? I'm afraid of those things. I don't know the answers. I do know Jesus. So I'm asking him, hey, Jesus, 
Will you give me compassion and courage and grace to love my neighbors well, no matter what comes next? You'll answer that prayer. Jesus, will you give me the strength to remain faithful to you no matter what it costs, no matter what comes next? You are full of compassion and courage and grace, and I am not. Will you fill me with those things? so that I will not be afraid to trust an unknown future to the Savior who is known. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we tremble before you. We tremble with anxiety for this unknown future. And yet there can be a trembling that comes with joy and excitement as well, trembling with the the sense of privilege at belonging to you and being safe no matter what comes next. Give us the same courage that took you to the cross and through the cross to the resurrection. May we follow you no matter what, wherever you lead, and may that bring great blessing to our neighbors. We pray in your name. Amen.